What is the digital economy? What does digital mean? Strategic How far can the digital economy go? Welcome back to the Digital Week. I'm Marek Kowalkiewicz and today I'm speaking with Leanne Camp, CEO and founder of Everledger. Everledger is a digital global business that tracks and protects items of value. Using emerging technologies, Everledger aims to create global transparency and ethical trade and assist in the reduction of fraud, black markets and trafficking. Leanne and I discuss her leadership journey, the realities and capabilities of blockchain and of course, jobs of the future. Since recording this podcast, Leanne has also been named an IBM champion for 2018. Leanne, and by extension Everledger, has a fascinating story and I really enjoyed our chat. I think you will too. I'm Marek Kowalkiewicz. Welcome to the Digital Week. Hi everyone, my name is Marek Kowalkiewicz. I'm the professor and chair in digital economy at QUT. And uh, today I'm joined by Leanne Camp, the CEO, the single founder of Everledger. Uh, Hi Leanne. Hi, Merrick. What an introduction. (laughs) Trying to keep it short. Leanne, uh, we met uh, a few months ago already in London uh, during one of the events that we were running here. And and it was fantastic to have you on stage back then on one of the panels. Um, uh, We decided we really want to record this podcast with you because... um, Everledger, the, the organization that you're leading, is, is absolutely fantastic. But tell us, what is Everledger? I remember that day in London, Merrick. It was so good to have you in the town of Big Ben. <laughs> uh, so Everledger, we began in the heart of London in April 2015. Uh, we combined the very best of emerging technologies, blockchain, smart contracts, machine vision, to be able to track diamonds from the source of the mine right the way to the market, to the retail and the customer. And I guess if we wind forward to today, three and a half years later, we've done a pretty good job. We're about 2.2 million diamonds on the ledger. We've extended ourselves into coloured gemstones, emeralds, rubies and sapphires. But what we really noticed was missing was a platform of provenance. We have in the world procurement systems, really large companies like SAP, uh, Navision, Microsoft that enable trade to occur between parties but we don't have a platform of provenance. We still don't know where our stuff comes from. Mm -hmm. And so we decided it's about time we fix that. Excellent. So uh, you've combined a lot of very hot technologies, right? You mentioned blockchain, you mentioned smart contracts, you mentioned machine vision, uh, but you've also added diamonds to the mix. Why diamonds? So I guess all the words I used were like buzz bingo, but the reality is this is fourth industrial revolution technologies that are all converging and coming together. Mm -hmm. Um, Why diamonds? Well, I guess firstly, they're a girl's best friend, so you've got to start somewhere. (laughs) Um, But more importantly and more seriously, uh, when we think about uh, combining um, the very best of these technologies together, you want to apply it to solving very real challenges or very real problems in the world. Mm. Now, the diamond industry is a 500-year-old industry, and it has its fair share of challenges. Um, a number of those challenges we can solve. We can solve by way of aggregating data together amongst participants to bring a truth or a trust ledger to the world Mm -hmm. so that consumers, when they walk into a store, firstly, know where their diamond comes from and secondly, have some way to be able to attest 
to the conditions upon which that diamond has traversed the globe. So has it been ethically mined? Has it been cut and polished under the right sets of uh, legislative concerns? And has it been traded correctly and ethically? Um, the other parts of the challenges in the industry, of course, are there is a mid-tier of the industry that's really suffering um, in terms of uh, in terms of trust and transparency, mm-hmm. and there's about a $5 billion finance shortfall. So mm. we have real challenges to be solved, and we know that this next-generation technology, um, they're, they're able to go a pretty pretty long way to be able to get there. So you just made me a bit worried. I'm, I'm thinking about my wife going into a, a jewellery store and showing her diamonds and saying, tell me everything about them, where they come from, are they real, are they synthetic, and so on. So it uh, looks like, you know, you have a, a fairly sophisticated business model here. Are Is my wife your customer, actually, or who are your customers? Great. Great question. So there are a number of stakeholders within industry Mm -hmm. and the diamond supply chain can be seen to be relatively simplistic in Mm -hmm. that uh, mining companies dig a hole and a rock comes out of the ground. That's Mm -hmm. about $15 a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It then traverses the globe and 90% of the world's diamonds are cut and polished in Surat, which is a place in India. And that rock, that stone, uh, is then cut and polished. It's a pretty simple manufacturing process. Uh, And then that's about $47 And then once it hits the retail network, not set in a diamond ring, just as a as a diamond itself, mm-hmm. is about $72 billion. Mm. When it's set in jewellery, it's $240 million. For us to be able to provide a platform of provenance and enable the connection through each part of the pipeline, then our customers are all stakeholders within industry, mining companies, diamond manufacturers, jewellery manufacturers, retailers, and penultimately, we're serving those who bear risk. Mm-hmm. So if you think about those who bear risk, are banks, insurance companies, and consumers. So they're yeah. our end-state customer. I see. All right. Well, make, makes perfect sense. So I, I feel myself being your customer as well. Just, you know, when I buy something, I want to make sure that this is a real diamond, that whatever I'm paying for is actually a good investment. So it's so quite a quite a broad uh, um, uh, group of stakeholders, actually, which probably, you know, adds to the as we call it uh, in, uh, here at the chair in digital economy, the revenue resilience of uh, of the business model, right? So even if some customers uh, are you know, not using the services, there will be another ones in the whole supply chain that will really badly uh, need your services. Um, Leanne, the elephant in the room is that there's a lot of hype around blockchain. It seems like everyone I, every time I look at Twitter, uh, there's someone coming up with a, with a new idea of what blockchain could solve, right? So how do we separate the, the buzz from reality? It seems like you're, you're, you're the reality one, right? So tell me about it. Well, we started understanding where challenges existed and what those problems were. And were they sufficiently large enough Mm. where we could apply technologies at the right time of an industry where they would accept and embrace that technology? Mm. Now, not all industries have these challenges. And so blockchain can be applied in a in a T, you know, a T minus two type timing advancement. So bigger, better, faster. Um, Can we move money around the world instantaneously? um, And is that really, really solving a problem? We wanted to solve something a little bit more challenging than just saying we could transfer money instantaneously across the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Definitely, there have been large implementations underway, but most of those have been experimental. Mm. Um, And the big trick that we have found is the fact that 
this is a business network technology. Mm. So you need to be able to provide for an environment, a digital and a physical and a governance environment that enables a network and a consensus of people within that network to understand the rules of that digital trade. Mm. Now, not all industries have that today. So if you think about the major banks, to be able to have them come together on a new technology that's largely unknown and was untested in 2015, for them to come together and then not only trust the technology but trust each other and enable them to share in some form of transparency, I'm not sure that's going to be an easy ask. Mm. But when you think about the diamond industry in the year 2000, the United Nations came together and created the Kimberley process. It's a three-step validation system that helped to identify and reduce anything to do with conflict diamonds in the world. Now, that's been largely successful in that 99.97% of all diamond trading countries, 81 of them, in fact, came together under that United Nations construct. So we already have an industry that's binded by consensus. Mm -hmm. We have a gentleman's handshake, a chit of paper and a promise to pay. And so what we did is recognise that the industry had a human system mm -hmm. um, and that we didn't have the legacy of 40 years of technology like banks do. Yep. We literally had to say hey, we have a great human system and how do we transpose that into a digital system? And not only that, how are we able to ensure that value and trust is baked into an industry protocol? Um, and I'm not sure that all industries have that. So it was another reason why we chose diamonds. Wow, that's uh, that's big. That's important. I think something for our listeners to keep in mind that you know what worked in your case was uh, that the space basically did not have any legacy IT solutions, which potentially made it made it a bit easier to implement. Uh, you mentioned blood diamonds. Let's uh, let's park it for a second. We'll talk about them in in about two minutes, I guess. Uh, I remember when we were there in London, you said something very important to me. You said that. Um, uh, in your business, you really focused on on breaking even as early as possible, right? So you weren't like the kind of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs uh, thinking about getting more and more seed funding and uh, you know and more and more investors, but really thinking how can I start making money on this this idea as early as possible? Kind of the old school way, right? In a way, but but seems like the one that actually works. Well, it's the reality. I mean, yeah. all businesses need to survive and the true test of a business is in its revenue generation mm. and, of course, its profitability. So I think one thing that is overlooked quite quickly in startups is, firstly, how do we run to revenue? And that's a really important first stage. And yeah. secondly, thinking about exiting. How yeah. do you think about the liquidity event? And I've thought about both of those even before I started. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's very important to remember. Okay. Um could Everledger work without blockchain? Oh, that's a killer question. You just It was like a knockout punch from the corner there. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is I think that the combination of technologies that sit within blockchain, you know, smart contracts, the consensus mechanism, cryptography and distributed data are all very important ingredients to enable some form of um, you know, some form of a ledger of trust. Mm. Um, would we be able to identify diamonds without blockchain? Absolutely, we can. In fact, blockchain alone will not solve for physical supply chains. There has to be a combination of technologies that come mm. together. Um, would we be able to create a central authority of data like a Facebook of the industry and enable the industry to trust a single central authority? I'm not sure that's really what the industry wants. Hence the reason why I don't believe that the industry would just accept Everledger if we were a central authority. 
But because we've created the connective tissue of industry and provided that as a trust ledger across industry, where not everyone has control, but not one person is in control, is really the reason why blockchain is more important than any other technology mm. um, on the planet. Got it. So the mix of technologies is, is very important here. What does what, what do Airbnb, Spotify, Google, Uber, and Everledger have in common? The fact that they are all recipients of a Tech Pioneer Award at World Economic Forum. So congratulations, Leanne, your Tech Pioneer of 2018. Tell us a bit more about the award and, and, and why did you get it? So thank you very much for that. I tell you, it was a hellish day. I actually thought I was wearing a VR component on my on my face when this award came through. So as I had to take the take the VR off, I realised actually this is the real world that we're living in here with Everledger. We were awarded uh, this year Tech Pioneer. I think they recognise companies that have outstanding implementations in real-world technologies and are beginning to make certainly an impact and uh, maybe a disruption, which I don't really favour disruption. I do believe we're co-evolving mm -hmm. um, the industry. And so we've given birth to provenance as a platform. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an amazing group of organizations to be with, Airbnb, Spotify, Google, and Uber, and Uber with the new CEO. Yeah, obviously. mate, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Speaking about pressure, you, you also mentioned blood, uh, uh, blood diamonds uh, and, you know, conflict minerals. That's, that, that, that's a big one, right? We're, we're always wondering, you know, there's a computer sitting right next to me. How do I know whether it has conflict minerals in it or not, right? I mean, the, the manufacturers will make some claims. But for me as a customer, there's absolutely no way of verifying those claims. So last year, I began to think about what is greater than my tenure in Everledger and what would be you know, greater uh, post-2020. And in, by 2030, coal-based economies really have to rethink the essence of energy and stored energy. When I think about going beyond diamonds, just as Amazon started with books, what is bigger? How does this really play out for Everledger in the end? And you always want to have a big, hairy, audacious goal. And so this is it. This is the one. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, self, um, clearly there's not a person on the planet or a government or even a corporation that doesn't have some form of stored energy, whether it be solar off the roof or whether that be the laptops in front of me or even mobile phones. And yet the essence of the minerals that are sitting within each of these devices um, could potentially cause some of the largest conflicts that we'll see in 2030 and 2050 mm. when you particularly understand, you know, the, the supply and demand curves of lithium and cobalt um, and you think Blood Diamonds was a hellish movie that was created with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think you're just about to see, mm. you know, on the horizon some really important uh, geopolitical decisions that have to be made about supply and demand curves. So I thought batteries, how can we enable not only the traceability of lithium and cobalt? Um, in November, I began working inside of the World Economic Forum with the Global Battery Alliance and Everledger provides, um, particularly in the innovation stream, uh, the work around lithium, cobalt, but also the circular economy. Mm. So how can we think about you know, stored energy? How do we think about minerals and metals inside of electric devices? And how can we maybe repurpose that? I wonder what supply chains will look like in the future. Could Apple or these electronic manufacturers actually be the largest metal supplier to the jewellery industry? When we know about minerals, for example, mica, it's an ingredient of both paint and lipstick. Who would have thought that DuPont and L'Oreal would be both fighting for the same ingredient supply chain? 
It's incredible. So no no boundaries between industries anymore, different industries uh, fighting for the same resources. Uh, when you were explaining that, I was thinking perhaps this is the future of mining. Or the future of mining is not about digging holes in the ground. The future of mining is perhaps looking at you know the devices that are around us and thinking what's inside them and how can we effectively, efficiently extract those resources and then bring them back into the market, uh, which is, uh, you know, speaking about circular economy, this is exactly what we talked about uh, back in London, the, the art of digital, aspirational, responsible and, uh, and trusted technologies uh, in the digital space. Uh, Leon, uh, you're, you're clearly uh, on the bleeding edge of, of industries. You're clearly paving the, the way for others to, to follow. That also means that uh, you're probably thinking about, and that's a topic we often talk about on those podcasts, you're, you're thinking about jobs of the future. Uh, as a university, we, we always ask ourselves, how can we prepare our students for, for the future, for whether it's leadership roles or any other roles in the organizations? What is your job of the future? So I've been talking internally with our team about forming um, two very important skills. One, a digital intelligence, and secondly, an emotional intelligence. And I think the combination of those together um, are, la are lacking to a, certain, to a certain extent. What I find some of the most simplistic decisions that need to be made, whether that be remembering your one-time password or whether that be just being able to take a gut feeling or intuitive reaction going forward, seems to be harder and harder and harder over time. And whether that's because we've had so much at our fingertips in simplistic mathematics mm. that we've forgotten how to do the most simple, um, the most simple tasks. Mm. So I think what's missing in the world is some form of, um, and I don't know what role you want to call it, I think you're quite, you know, um, I think you're quite creative at trying to understand what the role might right, might be, but something really formed around uh, a digital intelligence layer and a, and, a, and, a, and a cognitive layer is definitely missing. Mm. So that sort of shift from uh, a long time ago, we would uh, uh, rely on our confidence when it comes to making decisions. And then we started talking about evidence, uh, uh, data-based uh, decision-making, evidence-based decision-making, and sort of handing over all those decisions to computers, to algorithms. What you're saying, Leanne, is that we should actually reconsider this, uh, this evolution and think, you know, you have to have a human in the loop, right? Whether it's a chief knowledge officer of, or chief, I just feel this is the right decision officer. This is the type of Chief, I just know it. <laughs> chief, officer. I just know it officer. All right, here's the job of the future. I mean, in all seriousness, I think we have quite a lot of data at our fingertips. And I know that, you know, the mathematical calculations that can be done now is at the speed of light. But we, our cognitive layer of AI is probably not at the stage where um, it can make the right intuitive decisions. Um, not just today, anyway. Uh, Leanne, Everledger has been a, a tremendous success already. And I wanted to wish you um, uh, all the best and, and great success for the future. It uh, seems like you're only just starting, even with with those those amazing awards that, that you've, you are being given. It seems like for you, it's the beginning of, of, of something much, much bigger that is uh, that is going to happen. So I wanted to, to wish you all the best. Uh, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. No, thank you, Merrick. Thank you to the team. It's great to be here. Nice to be home, actually. Thank you. That's it for this week on the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chair Digiconomy and visit our website at chairdigitaleconomy.com.au. See you next time.